This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming up at the very end of August as we're recording here in another exciting episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo alongside Sam Dykstra this week. Both Jason and Jim are overseas, actually, which is exciting for them and exciting for me because, Sam, I, I think that this is the first time that this particular iteration on the podcast has, has come to be. I feel like you and I did one last year, too. Um, we interviewed Grayson Rodriguez together. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And it was just us? It was just us. Huh. I remember in- interviewing Grayson with you. I don't remember how the rest of the show went. Right, right. I'd say, no, I can't believe that fans weren't clamoring for more of the, <laughs> the Jonathan and Sam show. Um, we, we've got some good stuff to talk about this week uh, as we're you know coming in towards the end of the 2022 season. It's uh, definitely late season call-up time. Um, we're going to dig into a lot of that. Of course, the most exciting one of those just happened. Corbin Carroll uh, was just called up to the big leagues, and we're going to dig into all the things uh, about the, the Diamondbacks' top prospect and, of course, our number three prospect overall. Uh, we're going to have a little mini-draft. We love our mini-drafts here of potential call-ups uh, down the stretch where Sam and I will be doing a five-man, uh, five-person draft a five-player draft, I should say, uh, who we think has a chance to have the most impact in the final month of the big league season. We're going to take a, a look ahead. We have a story coming up uh, later this week on a prospect we think is going to be the number one prospect for each organization. Uh, we'll pick some of our favorites. And of course, as always, we will finish up with your questions in the mailbag. So Sam, Corbin Carroll, it's always exciting anytime any guy gets called up, and we certainly have had our fair share uh, uh, of guys getting called up. Uh, this is kind of the the first, and we'll, I'll give away a little inside baseball here, but we have a, a set of prospects that we're known as priority prospects. And when they get called up, they get uh, they get the red carpet treatment in terms of, of content. And, you know, I think, you know, Corbin Carroll is the, the first one in a little while, definitely the first one since we re-ranked all the lists. He's now, you know, up to, to number three. Why don't we start out, you know, you do the the Diamondbacks list. You know, people probably know a good amount about Corbin Carroll, but in some ways I feel like of the top prospects that we've had, the guys at the very top of the list, he's a little, I don't want to say underrated, but maybe under-recognized, maybe just because he, you know, he missed so much time at the outset. So give us a snapshot of who who Corbin Carroll is as he's received his first call up to the big leagues. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it in terms of, you know, he might, He's no, well known to the prospect community. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there, at least based on my Twitter replies, that think he should be the number one overall prospect in the game. And I think there's a worthy shout for that, but also just by way of playing in Arizona, by way of missing a lot of time in 2021, and all of his momentum is coming from this season. It, it might have been a little bit easier to overlook him in terms of the general populace. So Corbin Carroll, 16th overall pick in 2019, 
Um, that's why this year is basically his first full season. He missed 2020 due to the pandemic, like everybody else. Uh, last year suffered a shoulder sur- or shoulder injury at High A Hillsborough. Only a couple games into his season, he got off to a really hot start. There was looking great, and then got hurt. Was out the rest of the year. Uh, actually, pretty cool story about that. The Diamondbacks had him rehabbing around the facility, uh, you know, around the Phoenix area. But because he was in the area, he also went to a lot of major league games and sat with the scouts behind home plate, the pro scouts, and learned the game from them. It wasn't just, hey, make sure your shoulder's right. He was working a lot on the mental aspect of the game, preparation, what scouts do, what they're looking for in pitchers. Uh, It seemed to be really, really advantageous for him. So it wasn't a completely lost year. Comes back this year. They don't send him back to Hillsboro. They send him straight to double-A Amarillo because they said to him, even after the shoulder, hey, you were so good at high A, there's nothing left for you to learn. Tears the cover off the ball at Amarillo, which I'm going to get to this in a moment, but Amarillo is a, an extreme hitter's park. Uh, it's pretty easy to hit home runs there. It's at elevation. The wind's at your back going out to outfield. Um, so, you know, he hit 313. He slugged 643. Numbers that we, were better than we were expecting, especially coming off a major injury. Gets sent to AAA Reno. Hits 287 there. 943 OPS. At the time he was called up, he had 24 homers and 31 stolen bases. My feeling was if he had been in the minors for the rest of the year, he probably would have been a 30-30 candidate. Um, the the home run numbers were there this year. It's still a question mark for me who he's going to be power-wise, but all the other tools are there. He's at least a plus hitter right now from the left side. It's a very simple swing, but it's a quick swing. He's got plus-plus speed, which is easily his best asset. Uh, he could play center field. Alec Thomas is going to have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, recently graduated prospect. Uh, so they started him in right field in his debut. That's because he has the arm strength to play in that position. It's all five tools are there. And if he can show enough power, I mean, this is a really, really special player. Even if it's just average power, there's a reason why we ranked right. him number three, which is the highest we've ever ranked a D-backs player at a midseason or preseason list. Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's sort of fascinating with him that here he is in the big leagues at age 22. He went from being kind of, I want to say behind developmentally. I mean, as you pointed out, because of 2020, everyone was behind. But, you know, here you have a high school kid who, granted, came in with the reputation of having like a, a, a good field to hit. And that's kind of a, you know, advanced idea of what he was doing, you know, from the Pacific Northwest. So you don't like it's it, there's a little bit of a of a jump there in terms of of uh y- you know what's going to happen in the pro game and then you know you have the the shutdown because the pandemic and then he misses all 2021 now i think we were all confident he was going to hit but i mean what he did this year is nothing short of astounding and i think it was because of that missed time that people sort of don't quite appreciate just how how good, you know, good he is. Um, but it's amazing to me how quickly he went from, well, he missed a lot of time. Let's see. If, and, and they're sending him to double A. Let, 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 you know, let's, I, I didn't expect him to struggle, but I'm like, all right, let's let him get some, you know, some, some reps under, under him. End of the day, he has a grand total of 657 plate appearances in the minors before getting called up to the big leagues for the first time, which, is amazing to me. Like that is, that's not a lot of time in the minors. No, not at all. And I think one thing that kept coming back to me when I would talk to D-backs folks, going back to the spring, 
Uh, and I was there on the day he found out that he was going to Amarillo, and I thought that was aggressive. Uh, but they said, hey, we love challenging this guy. He seems to answer the bell every time we give him a test, uh, and we're going to keep doing that to him. And, you know, one fascinating thing about this, too, not just the limited at-bats that he's had in the minor leagues, but also the Diamondbacks aren't pushing for anything. Normally we talk about September call-ups as being, hey, this is the time to bring up your prospects and have them – help your stretch run, try to help you get to the postseason. D-backs aren't really playing for anything right now. Maybe they make some crazy run and sneak in, but uh, right now that's not looking very likely. And they have a pretty good outfield as is. They just really believe that Corbin Carroll is the guy for them moving forward, and they don't want him languishing in AAA and, and you know not growing, not sharpening his skills. And right. you know, to right. perform like he did straight from the off, showing off that plus-plus speed. I know it wasn't a hit, but – um, was going down the line at 31 feet per second, which is above the elite level. He had, he had a double at 97.3 miles an hour exit velocity, which is above the hard hit rate of you know 95 miles an hour. The other way too. I thought that was yeah, like the going, quintessential yeah. Corbin Carroll first hit. Right. You know, like to, to your point in terms of his sort of feel for the barrel and 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 that hit tool, like that made perfect sense to me. Yeah, it, it was just speaking to that. It's it's a perfect example of. The D-backs know the player. They know that he could use, you know, that ability to go the other way, the ability to use his speed on the base paths. They knew that would play right away in the majors. Now, it's one game. I'm not going to pour too much into it. Uh, but it was indicative of, hey, this guy is not too big for this moment, even if he's had such limited experience at the, the pro level. You mean he's he's not going to drive in, you know, 330 runs every year? <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, and I... It, I think, you, you know, often September call-ups, there's one or two things. As, you know, it's either, as you said, you know, trying to help a team during the stretch run or this guy is going to be in the starting lineup next year. Let's see what he can do, you know, or rewarding a guy for a really good season. This fits more into the, the latter category. But to your point, <coughs> the Diamondbacks actually are, have got, been getting good performances from a, a pretty talented outfield. Like this was this was not an area of weakness for them. Uh, so uh, more, you know, as, as you point out, more a testament to who they believe he is and they know that he is going to, uh, have a huge impact next year. So let's, uh, um, I don't remember if it was Mike Hazen or Tori Lovello who said like, let's rip the bandaid off now. Um, and I love the fact that he was sitting with scouts. I mean, this is, this is clearly a guy who studies hitting. And mm -hmm. so, uh, getting to watch, uh, you know, you know, getting to, to watch the game, uh, when he was hurt, that's something that these guys don't get the chance to do. I'm going to go off on a little tiny bit of a tangent here, but I'm, I'm actually working on a on a book project, uh, and one of the chapters involves Ian Kinsler. And when he was at Arizona State, he lost his job to Dustin Pedroia, uh, and ended up sitting and watching, which you would think would be terrible. But he told me that he learned more. I mean, it wasn't good. He, he you know he didn't put too much of a positive spin on, but he learned so much because that was the first time he'd ever sat and watched and listened. Right. So it sounds like Corbin Carroll did the same thing, talking to people who really know the game. And that's only going to help him, not just for the now, but for the long term. Yeah. It's essentially baseball college. Yeah. It's one year of baseball college that these guys, especially Corbin Carroll, who signed out of high school, didn't get. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's useful to do that. And you almost wish that maybe they would send guys to like the Dominican just to watch. 
for a, a right. while in the off season. Well, there's right. a, there's a whole to... cultural thing with that, that that's a great idea, but uh, right. we can talk about that another time, but I, I would like the fall league or something mm-hmm. like that, like send your, your guys who may not be playing, but just watch baseball for four, five weeks, pick up some stuff from guys who are around your age. Um, but just watch it. Don't, don't try to like envision when is my next at bat? When's my next inning coming? Just sit back with the scouts and take it all in. I love it. There's something to that. I mean, you could almost have a mentoring thing where you have a scout with one or don't make it too many, right? Don't make it a classroom, but one or two players. And you go to some of those games, you know, or instructs games, whatever it is, or big league games in September, it doesn't matter. And you sit there and you just watch the game and you talk about what you're seeing. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I love this idea. Um, so this has been a year where we've seen, you know, a lot of graduations from our top 100 list, uh, a lot of top guys. Uh, you know, we started the year kind of, <laughs> we set the bar very, very high because our top three prospects all made opening day rosters. Uh, and it's hard to, you know, surpass, you know, Adley Rushman, Bobby Witt and, and Julio Rodriguez. And, you know, <laughs> Even with sort of the ups and 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 downs, I guess Adley didn't make the opening day roster. I've been forgetting that he was hurt to to start the season, but would have, and obviously is making a huge impact in the Orioles' uh, run right now. Uh, they've had their ups and downs, but you know, even Bobby Witt with his struggles is you know approaching twenty twenty. Julio Rodriguez, uh, you know, just signed a huge contract extension, um, so it's almost unfair to try to put Corbin Carroll in that mix, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but Leo, you know, it's, it's been like kind of an astounding year for, for call-ups. I guess last year there was a good amount too, but these guys have, I think, I feel like there's been more of an impact with some of these guys than, than without, you know, than, than we've seen. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, one thing we should kind of touch on is, um, you know, talking about guys being on opening day rosters is because of the new CBA and the potential to mm-hmm. get a draft pick at some point if you have a top prospect on your opening day roster. One thing that I didn't necessarily foresee coming uh, when that CBA was signed, I saw the the opening day thing happening, but I didn't see it coming in September, which is what we're seeing now. I think Corbin Carroll got called up now in part because you can have him play the rest of the way. He's not going to pick up 45 days at this point. He's highly unlikely to get 130 at-bats. So he's still going to be eligible to get that extra draft pick if you start him on opening day next year. But he's going to be in such a better place because he's going to have seen the majors. So I think we're going to see some of that as well. The Nationals called up Cade Cavalli, and he made his debut last Friday. Again, I don't think this is explicitly why Cade Cavalli had a lot of things to work on uh, as the season went along, and he certainly earned that call up when he finally got it. But – there's something advantageous to bringing up your top prospects here in September. Carroll is the first really, really big one, like you said before. But And we'll talk more about these guys later in the show. But like Gunnar Henderson is our number two overall prospect. He's being bandied about as, as a potential call-up. Grayson Rodriguez is finally coming back to the mound on Thursday. Yeah, that one's intriguing. Yeah, and if he's looking healthy by the end of September and, and the O's are still within a game or two of a wild-card spot and they have an opening in, in – the rotation, like Grayson Rodriguez is probably one of your top two or three pitchers in the entire organization. Why not let him get that start too? So now all of a sudden we're talking about three of the top four prospects potentially being in the majors in the next month. And that's not counting Francisco Alvarez, who maybe would have been in the conversation further away, but maybe, maybe 
hmm. if not for a right ankle injury that currently has him out. So right. It's, right. it's an interesting September for sure. Yeah, there have been and there have been some some interesting call ups. Garrett Mitchell hit his first big league homer yesterday. It's exciting to see him up and uh we'll continue to watch that. But you know, I'm gonna use your your bringing up Grayson Rodriguez as sort of uh pivot a, a little bit, uh you know, kind of looking at some of the top September call ups of all time. And you know, you mentioned well, Grayson Rodriguez, if there's a rotation spot, you know, if the, I would bring him up to help out of the bullpen. And, you know, if you look at some of the best players, uh, you know, some of the most exciting September call-ups, you have these guys who ended up being, you know, starters to put in the bullpen. Obviously, David Price is the most obvious example. I think, you know, it gets brought up a lot, but it spent, you know, his first full year in the minor leagues with the Rays after being the number one uh, pick in the previous year's draft starting there was no question that he was going to be a starter long term but the rays brought him up for the you know for the stretch run and not only was he impactful in the regular season but he played a huge role in their in their run to the world series in 2008 and then next year he was in the rotation i think it i think it's conserve a couple of purposes sam in that it helps your team out and I mean, I can't imagine Grayson Rodriguez in a like in a, in a shorter. St- I mean, I can. We saw what he did in the in the futures game, but you know what he could do. It lets him get his feet wet in the big leagues, uh, so he kind of understands like, well, that that's the biggest spotlight you're going to have. Now go back to you know being in the rotation every fifth day because I don't think any of us questions that Grayson Rodriguez is going to be part of that rotation next year from the outset. You know, barring any other injuries, uh, it's kind of a for me a win-win uh, when you're you know when you look at teams that have done that in the past. And I I like I often wonder why more teams don't don't use future starters that way. My, my only thought with that is why that might not be because I agree with you. I think it's best to get guys major league experience wherever you can get them, and if they're in limited experiences, it's not as big a burden whatever i think the only thought might be like we don't want to get them out of their routine in any way if we've been you know hammering them hey you have to get ready every fifth day this is when you're going to throw on your second day this is when your bullpen's going to be yada yada and then all of a sudden to throw them out of that routine at the top level uh, maybe that's a concern i still think like these are competitive guys they can adjust yeah. I mean, you look at who else has done this you know there was a story a while back every team's best September call-up on MLB.com. Fernando Valenzuela, for crying out loud, came out as a bullpen arm for the Dodgers in September of 1980. The next year, he won the Cy Young and the Rookie of the Year. Like, if Fernando Valenzuela can adjust, I think modern-day players can as well. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, a, that's a, a great example. And I think, you know, we, you know we, we, we've talked to Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I, I don't... You have to know the player, obviously. I'm not just saying, you know, random starter X can become star reliever down the stretch. You need to have a sense that you have a pitcher who could sort of handle that and then for a short period of time. Um, you know, sometimes you have guys get called up and they help out of the bullpen and you're not sure whether they're going to be starters or relievers long term. And, uh, you, you know, and it turns out that they're so good coming out of the bullpen that, that's where they end up staying, which is also fine. 
you know, uh, in this case, there is no question whatsoever that, you know, that Grayson Rodriguez is a frontline starter. So, you know, I think that, you know, as long as, you know, you're aware of that, like, even, listen, Francisco Rodriguez K-Rod is probably one of the greatest examples of a guy sort of coming seemingly out of nowhere. He had been a starter, you know, early on. And then 2002 uh, was the first year they moved him to the bullpen. And he was only 20 years old. And that got him to, you know, that got him up to, to the big leagues. But he only had one year of reliever. Now, by the time they called him up, they knew he was a reliever. So a little, little bit different. But like, I think... I think Grayson Rodriguez can handle it. I definitely think he has the the, the temperament for it. I, I think he is somebody who, seeing his friends, like he is very close with Adley Rutschman. He's very close with D.L. Hall. Um, that whole group of Orioles prospects has come up together. They know each other very well. I think him seeing everybody make Baltimore and him being left behind because of the lat, like he would probably accept any role to get there. And just because of the bevy of pitches that he has, he doesn't need to rear back even though he has velo, he doesn't need to be touching triple digits no. just to be effective as a reliever. He can still spin the curveball, spin the slider, throw in a change. Like all of that stuff's going to get swings and misses regardless of the situation. So I think he could especially work well in that that role if they wanted it. But he's like we keep saying, he's definitely a starter moving forward. Yeah. We're not advocating for making Grayson Rodriguez uh, the next firearm in the back. No, no. And, and honestly, like if he had been healthy, he would have been up already. And in the rotation, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And if it weren't an injury, it would be a no brainer. You know, like let's say for whatever reason, he was still in the minors. You, you, I think, yes, you absolutely call him up. The only, like for me, the only reason you hesitate is he's just getting back. And the last thing you want to do is have him trying to do too much and re-aggravating that injury. And that's the kind of injury that can be uh, re-aggravated. Before we go to break, my favorite little tidbit in that story, the best September club you mentioned, Fernando Valenzuela, who who know that role, is, um, I mean, I remember, you know, Fernando Mania and, and, and all of that. You don't because you probably, you know, you weren't born yet. Um, but uh, uh, I'd like making, pointing out to our listeners that I'm old. And uh, I was going to say, I don't, I don't want to confirm that, but I will confirm yeah, it's, that, it's that totally, I, am, I was not around for Fernando. It's totally fine. That's your loss. It was very exciting. But I would not have remembered that Tom Lasorda decided to start Dave Goltz instead of Valenzuela in, uh, in it, was a, you know, it was a tiebreaker game. So I understand why you wouldn't, you know, Valenzuela was so young and he had just been called up, but they lost that game. Now, of course, the next year, as you point out, he was the Cy Young Rookie of the Year and they won the World Series. So uh, he was in the rotation the next year. But Dave Goltz, a name I would have never guessed we would mention on on the podcast here. Um, All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Sam and I are going to have a little mini draft of potential September call-ups coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Sam Dykstra this week. And we are going to continue talking about September call-ups. It's, you know, it is a little bit different than it used to be. Uh, September call-ups used to be like a crazy time in, in our world just because of the, the volumes of guys who get called up. But you can't expand to 40 anymore. You can't expand to 28. Um, so we will see you know, as more guys get called up. Uh, there's been... Uh, you know, a number of stories we did uh, a few weeks ago, impact prospect call-ups for each team. Uh, Jim Callis did uh, potential late, you know, late season call-ups. Uh, you know, the our beat writers just did, you know, a September call thing that was interesting because it wasn't just uh, prospects on, on that list. But we, we're going to look at prospects only, and we're going to, we're going to draft uh a little mini draft of uh, prospects we think who could have an impact. Um, Sam, since you are, you know, kind of a guest, um, uh, uh, you know, a guest host, I'm going to allow you to have the first selection in our September call-up draft. Wow, that's that's very nice of you. Um, and we'll we'll snake it through, so you'll get the. I'll, I won't come around again until pick four. No, we don't, uh, no, we don't have to do we don't have to do a serpentine draft and there's only two of us it's fine that's true okay all right fine <laughs> um but anyway so so this is drafting for september impact this is not drafting for who we think is going to be the best long term correct come up in september this is just for this is basically for fantasy owners like if you're looking at if you have playoffs coming up if you're looking for somebody who you think could be really helpful down the stretch this is for you it's also for people just following the final postseason races, all that kind yep. of stuff. So my pick is going to be Gabriel Moreno of the Toronto Blue Jays, um, a top 10 overall prospect for us. The reason being, we really believe in the hit tool for him. He's really athletic behind the plate. He's got an arm that helps him throw out almost like half the, the base runners that try to steal against him. Um, and that's at the upper minors. This is you know, not something that uh, he's not going up against inexperienced base runners either. It's, it's an arm that's going to play. In any other organization, he would probably already be in the majors. I mean, he is certainly major league ready. There's a little bit of question about the power right now. It seems to have gone away this season. But everything else is, is already there. He came up for a brief time with the Blue Jays earlier in the year. Now he's back down because they have Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. They bring up Gabriel Moreno. He becomes their third catcher, which is obviously useful in September. And they allows them to use Alejandro Kirk as more of a DH so they, they can definitely make that rotation work. Uh, Moreno, I think, could get more starts behind the plate than Kirk, certainly. Maybe even edge into Jansen if you know if he hits the ground running, as we kind of expect he could. Uh, so the situation is well set up for Gabriel Moreno to get meaningful at-bats, to make an impact defensively, and be a r- really well-rounded catcher here in the months of se- September. So he's my first pick. I uh, breathe a sigh of relief. I don't know if people could hear it, because I knew who I wanted with my first pick. And you didn't take him. So uh, I'm going to take Gunnar Henderson, um, yeah. which was not surprising. 
<laughs> you know, we tend to pick from the teams that we do, and I oversee the Orioles list. He's also, you know, our number two overall prospect. We're going to talk a little bit more about him at the end of the show and in, in the mailbag section. So I'm not going to break him down too much, but super young futures game. He's been hitting in triple a very athletic. And I think the, the biggest advantage is that he has shown that he can play multiple positions. Uh, and I think it would be a, you know, I think it'd be really exciting to see what he could do at the, at the big league level. He, he did not miss a beat when he got moved from double a to, to triple a at such a young age. Yeah, mine, I'm going to stay in the infield. My next pick is going to be Josh Young of the Texas Rangers. Um, Josh Young, again, another guy who probably would have already been in the majors earlier this year, if not for, speaking of Corbin Carroll earlier, if not for his own shoulder injury that required surgery, uh, suffered back even before the spring. I think it was just around the turn of the the year. Um, He's come back now. He's been with Round Rock. Powers played immediately since he's come back to the AAA level. Uh, Can you just imagine what, an infield of Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager and Josh Young would be. That would be super exciting for Texas. Um, they really wanted to get him to the majors as quickly as possible and as healthily as possible. Uh, so now that the opportunity has risen, he's gotten enough at-bats under his belt, everything's playing as it should. Um, I think that they're going to carve out a big role for him. It might not be in a playoff race. We obviously know Texas is not really playing for much, but again, kind of in a similar mode to Corbin Carroll, they believe that Josh Young is a big piece of their future and they want to have that come quickly so we can establish some success moving into 2023 when he could be competing for an AL Rookie of the Year award. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, all right, I am, uh, I'm going to go pitcher with this next pick, especially I feel like I need to be consistent with uh, our earlier conversation about using starters and putting them in the bullpen. And since we know that the Rays aren't afraid to do that, uh, different management, obviously, I'm going to go with Taj Bradley. Uh, who I know has not been, you know, as sharp in AAA. Uh, he is coming off. Uh, his last start was very, very good. He just gave up a run in, in six innings. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he's going to adjust just fine. But he uh, started long-term. There is no question in my mind. He's one of the better pitching prospects in the game right now. Uh, he's only 21. Uh, so, you know, if they don't want to rush him up, I think that's fine, but he, he, he's got such an advanced feel along with the, the, the great stuff. I think from a maturity standpoint, um, he would have no problem handling the, the pressures of that. And I think that I'm not going to say that he'll have a David Price type of impact because David Price was closing games in the postseason, uh, which is insane if you, if you think about it. But I do think that Taj Bradley, whether it's pitching out of the bullpen, or being ready for a spot start if they if they need someone to, to pop into the rotation, uh, I think that uh, you know he is a guy that I you know I I would be excited uh, to see. The only thing that makes me pause is he's <clears throat> thrown more innings than he ever has. He's at 104 and a third innings through 103 last year. So I think there's a little bit of room, assuming that the developmental plan was for him to surpass what he did last year. And so if you're going to give them, you know, let's say another 25 innings, uh, why not do it out of the Rays big league bullpen? Yeah, no, that's a, that would be a fun one. He's, he's been so rocky at AAA right. that uh, I'm a little worried, but I think what makes him especially good at making that transition is that, that he right now is kind of a two pitch pitcher. He's got the fastball and cutter 
he mixes in a changeup pretty well, and he has a curveball mm-hmm. in the back pocket. Uh, but if he just focuses on that fastball cutter, like that could be really, really good in a major league outing. Uh, I'm going to go with Tristan Casas of the Boston Red Sox for my next pick. Another one that the Red Sox are without an identity right now. They're trying to figure out, like, are we still in this playoff race? Are we not in this playoff race? Uh, and I know that they picked up Eric Hosmer. He's currently on the IL. And I know they have Bobby Dahlbeck as a potential first baseman. They And Franchi Cordero has played time there. Tristan Casas is the future of first base for the Boston Red Sox. He's back healthy now. He was dealing with a few injury issues along the summer, but he's hitting the ball well at AAA Worcester right now, showing off a really, really good approach at that AAA level. Uh, we've always believed in the power. Kind of wish he wasn't playing in Fenway because the, the cavernous right field doesn't really fit him so well, but it, it's still, by the time he matures, by the time he gets 25, 26, like he's going to have enough power to drive it out anywhere in any park. Um, so I think, you know, getting where he is now defensively, he, he's certainly an improvement over Cordero and Dahlbeck, uh, defensively at first base. I, I think all the pieces are there for Tristan Casas to finally debut in the month of September. And it, if Boston is too far out again, you just keep getting him at bats. You get him used to Fenway, you get him used to the major league environment. Um, so he can be your opening day first baseman come 2023. I like it. I like it. I think we're giving a nice mix of guys who can impact playoff races and guys who can impact your fantasy team. So I think we're getting a little something for everybody. Uh, I'm going to go back to the mound and well, I, I, I'm going to cheat a little bit because we know that this guy is coming up. So I don't know if you, if the commissioner, which in this case will be you, Sam, um, will dis- <laughs> will 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 disallow it. But I'm going to go with Hunter Brown to the Astros. I, I'll allow it. For the record. You'll allow it because yeah. we know it's been Brian McTaggart, our Astros beat writer, reported that he uh, he is going to be coming up uh, along with Yanir Diaz uh, for the September call. And I think what's interesting about Hunter Brown with the Astros, like Houston's got a great rotation and it's deep, but Justin Verlander's a little dinged up, so we need to make sure that he's you know that he's okay. And so Hunter Brown is a backup there, but again very consistent with my messaging here. You know, Hunter Brown could be really good coming out uh, out of the bullpen. I mean, he's got a fastball that probably could flirt with triple digits in shorter spots. He's got a really, really good curveball. And because he's potential starter profile, he could give you multiple innings out of the bullpen, which is, you know, such a huge value add these days. And even if it's not in the, in the playoffs, just to provide, you know, some rest for some of the other guys, I think he's got a good enough arm where he could impact up the the playoff roster, <clears throat> but if you decide not to, since the Astros, you know, you know, at this point know they're going to the postseason, they could just use him to either give a guy in the rotation a little rest to give him a little, you know, so they have a little more in the tank, or the same thing with some of the the bullpen guys. Uh, so I think that he could be a very valuable weapon for Houston in this final month. Yeah, I think he's somebody especially well suited to to make that potential switch to the bullpen if they need it, just because his mm-hmm. biggest knock is control. I mean, he walked five right. and hundred six innings at Triple A Sugarland, uh, which is an improvement in his in his case in terms right, of right, right. But the stuff, but the, the he stuff holds is the really stuff, good. right? So right. yeah, like th- that's why maybe maybe it's a you know two or three innings out of the bullpen kind of deal instead of starting. Well, you know, however they want to creatively use him, he could really help them. Yeah. And, and I'm going to stay with pitching because I don't have a pitcher yet. Not that that matters. We're not looking no. for balance here, but just for the sake of content, I'm going to choose a pitcher. And you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go back to our last segment. I'm going to take Grayson Rodriguez. Yes. Why? Because you know we've we've already said plenty about Gray Rod, and I don't want to get too much into repeating myself. But 
I, again, I think the O's know the player. And if he's healthy, he's pitching for Aberdeen on Thursday. He's probably going to get another start after that. If everything clicks, they trust him as much as anybody in the world. Like, uh, we really like the guy. We have him as the number four uh, overall prospect in the game, the top pitching prospect in the game. And I think the Orioles like him even more than we do, which feels impossible. But (laughs) I think we're going to get to a point where every game for the Orioles from now until the end of the season is huge. So even if Grayson Rodriguez only pitched, pitches two games even if he only pitches one game in late september all of those are going to be make or break for the orioles and getting them back to the postseason um it's going to be a playoff atmosphere it's going to be it would be the biggest game he'd ever pitched in anyways but it's going to especially feel that way uh knowing all the ramifications so even if grayson rodriguez only makes one or two starts they're going to be such big starts in terms of what it means uh for the season and for baltimore as a whole i think that's that speaks to the impact he can make down the stretch. So Grayson Rodriguez is my first pitcher. All right. We're in round four of our five round draft here, you know, impact call-ups. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to Cleveland and take Bo Naylor uh, as my, as my next pick. Uh, you know, the, the guardians are currently uh, in the driver's seat in, in the AL central, but it's, it's a tight race and, you know, Naylor, uh, would provide something that they have not gotten from from their catchers, and that's some some offense. Uh, it's not that Naylor is setting the world on fire uh, in in AAA, but uh, you know he does a few things well. Uh, he gets on base, uh, and there's there is some power there. Uh, he, he's got uh, you know a, a, an eight eighty eight OPS combined for the season. He began the year in AA. And his defense is good enough where, you know, he's going to catch. And you look at what Cleveland has at the, at the big league level, and they just haven't hit. He's obviously not the defensive player Austin Hedges is, but he's, you know, but he'd be good enough. Now, I don't know if you hand the keys over to, you know, a super young catcher in the middle of a playoff race, but I, I think that could be an upgrade at a very important position for Cleveland, you know, even if he's not going to play every day, but to get, you know, to sort of mix him into the catching rotation uh, could be uh, a, a nice offensive upgrade for Cleveland as they prepare for the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of offensive upgrades and, uh, you know, premium positions for teams trying to make an AL spot, I'm going to take a Yankee shortstop and I'm going to tease it that way. <laughs> because which Yankee shortstop am I going to take? If Jim Callis was on this show, because Jim wrote about it, he would advocate for Anthony Volpe. You're not taking Anthony Volpe. I'm not taking Anthony Volpe. And it <laughs> kills me to say that because I love Anthony Volpe. He's uh, not ready. He, I think he could handle it. It's just yes. it's a weird right. situation right. where you have another top 100 prospect at AAA already. If it was just like a 27-year-old who was – a quad A player at AAA, I would say skip Volpe over him immediately. Oswald Peraza, who is my pick, I should say this. Oswald Peraza is my pick. Um, he has earned his own right. Like he has played at AAA all year. He's done not enough wrong. He's not the greatest hitter in the world. It's the glove that drives the profile, but he could be a solid hitter, an above average hitter with decent power, really good speed. Um, all the pieces are there for him to get the look. He's only 22 years old. Uh, but you know, he's put in the time and the effort to make this call up now. I still believe in Anthony Volpe more long term, and I would love Anthony Volpe to get some triple A at bats before the year is out. So maybe this is a moving the conveyor belt up one spot for everybody. Uh, but 
you know, you look at the production the Yankees have gotten out of shortstop. Isaac Kiner Falefa has not been very good this year at all. Uh, Peraza could be his equal, at least defensively, and maybe even a little bit better than him offensively. I know the Yankees want to stick with IKF as much as they want or as much as they can down the stretch. They're not usually a team to be like, here you go, rookie, go help us win a World Series. Uh, but Braz is just so well set up that he has earned this look, he's earned this chance, and I think he should get it, and I hope he does to try to prove himself to be the future shortstop and maybe Volpe becomes a second baseman or something like that. But uh, I think Praz is just really well suited. To, yeah, to without, back to yeah, yeah. And without doing like any research, I feel like this is like the, the storyline is one that's happened where there's a guy, I think we were all, if not expecting ready for Peraza to be dealt in a trade mm-hmm. to bring in, you know, for, for pitching help. Uh, and they were able to, you know, bring in Frankie Montas without trading him. I feel like this has happened before, maybe not in September call in this kind of setting, but where the guy you think is on the trading block doesn't get traded and then ends up even you know, being a bigger value add because he comes up and impacts the big league team that didn't trade him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I'm going to go back to the mound, and I think this is actually going to be the only non-top 100 prospect that we have. I'm going to take Kyle Muller um, with the Braves. You know, and it's really interesting because the Braves farm system is obviously not what it used to be, you know, uh, winning year in and year out. Uh, it's going to take its toll even when, you know, you care about having a strong farm system. But they managed to keep bringing players up, uh, you know, and, and, and high-level players. You know, Michael Harris had gotten onto our top 100. I'm glad we got him on before he graduated. You know, now Vaughn Grissom is doing the same thing, making the, the jump to double-A. Now, Kyle Muller is not a, as unknown. He's been in the big leagues you know, before has not thrown well in the big leagues, including this year. But the the Kyle Muller from this season in AAA is a much different pitcher. His stuff has always played, right? He doesn't get hit. He misses a ton of bats. The stuff is nasty. He's big. He's left-handed. And typically he has walked just a re- ridiculous amount of players where you really re- were beginning to wonder, can this guy start? And then this year, he has, uh, at least in AAA, found the combination of maintaining his stuff, missing just as many bats. He's struck out almost 11 per nine, but he's only walked two and a half per nine. And to me, that is the, the, the biggest thing that says to me, you know what, he, I think he is ready to, to make that next step. Now, what kind of role he can serve at the big league level when the Braves are getting you know, ready for another, you know, yet another playoff push, uh, you know, whether it's for the wild card or, or, you know, they, they can win another NL East title remains to be seen. That's still up in the air, but man, even if you wanted to have him eat up multiple innings out of the bullpen, uh, that is an imposing figure coming out of the bullpen with really, really good stuff. Uh, but even for the long-term future, I think he proved this year that maybe he's turning the corner and should get every opportunity to, to start. It takes, you know, sometimes it takes guys different amounts of time. I mean, he's only 24. It's not like he's old, but he was one of those guys that I think Sam was like right at the precipice of people feeling that he was stalling out, even though he wasn't that big, but this was a high school guy who was six foot seven. Like there's a lot of moving parts there. 
And it just maybe took him a little time to find the right combination of a repeatable delivery so he could find the strike zone consistently and let that stuff play. And maybe, just maybe, this was the year that uh, that he's figured it out. Two points I want to make about Atlanta uh, coming off of that. They seem to have a magic wand when bringing up players this year. Michael Harris II, Vaughn Grissom, I know they're hitters, but they really understood when to bring those guys up and allow them to find success. I know Kyle Muller is a pitcher, but again, that speaks to they know their guys. They know when their guys are ready. So if they are bringing up Muller in September, it's because he's ready to make an impact. Two, you were talking about there are certain guys who just take a little bit longer. Look who Kyle Wright is now. Like, yeah, good we, all, point. we all thought Kyle Wright was kind of done as both a pitching prospect and a future starter. Now he's a really quality major league starter in that system. They, they have no problem taking the long road with their pitchers if it ends up be, making them into quality guys. And uh, yeah, so don't sleep on Kyle Muller at any point, but especially this September. All right, good stuff. That concludes our five-round draft. Um, there's no way of knowing who will win this draft, but uh, maybe maybe we'll revisit this. We could do a whole episode at the end of the year looking back at all the different drafts we had. Uh, good stuff. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to look to the future, 2024 to be exact. And, of course, answer your questions next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan May, along with Sam Dykstra in the home stretch here for this week's episode. Uh, we're going to look ahead uh, a little bit here uh, and, and tease some future content. I love this kind of synergy. Later this week, we're going to have uh, a piece we do. You know, Every week, we tend to do a one for each team, one fets, as we like to call them. Uh, and this week's will be who will be the number one prospect in 2024 for each team? Now, we're not going to give you all 30 here uh, because why would we uh, spend that much time and we don't want to give away everything in the story. But Sam and I have picked out a couple of players, one sort of like, yes, obviously, and then one, uh, you know, maybe a guy who's not completely off the radar, but you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to be the number one prospect uh, across the teams. So, Sam, you know, why don't you start us off with your quote-unquote obvious pick? I mean, this this one is very obvious to me. Um, it's Drew Jones, you know, going off. And we talked a lot about the Arizona Diamondbacks today with Corbin Carroll. If Corbin Carroll were to graduate soon, he's not going to necessarily, but uh, Drew Jones would automatically move up into that number one spot. He's our number 12 prospect the number two uh, overall pick this year. So no surprise there. If there is any surprise, it's that I'm not as worried about the shoulder injury that he's you know, had and, and has delayed his pro debut. 
Uh, but Drew Jones, all the tools are there for him to be a really special star. Uh, plus power, plus plus run, plus plus fielding like his father. Uh, you know, as long as he just gets at bats and keeps all these tools, even to like the 90th uh, percentile of what he's capable of, it's it's a superstar. And he's going to be at the top of that Arizona list for a long time coming. Um, even with the injury. So that that's the obvious one I'll get out of the way now. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, the only reason why you pause at all is because of, of that injury, and you know you just don't know how long that might slow him down. But by 2024, you have to imagine he's going to be doing Drew Jones-type things. You know, I think the start of 2024, you could have a Drew Jones-Jordan Lawler 1-2, obviously not knowing who the Diamondbacks take in next year's draft, but that's a pretty good top of a top 30 list right there. Yeah, I mean, you look at their top three right now, they're the only organization with three members of our top 13. Um, so even if you lose Carroll, it's still a really, really solid top of the top. Yeah, absolutely. All right, for me, I'm going to go with Jackson Holiday. If you're going to take the number two overall pick in the draft, I have to take the number one overall pick <laughs> in the draft. So, you know, Orioles fans, you know, by 2024, Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez will have long, long grad since graduated. Um, actually, I think there's a good amount at the top of their list. But... The good news is you'll probably have Jackson Holiday. Uh, maybe you'll have Kobe Mayo, my nephew, um, you know, as as the top two. But I, I don't think there's any question that Jackson Holiday is going to be at the at the top of this list. Uh, he's had a, a solid pro debut. Uh, you know, <laughs> hit 409 over eight games in the Florida Complex League, and then they moved him up to full season ball just to to give him a taste of of what that's like. Um, obviously the combination of the, the bloodlines and, and the tools, I mean, we can sort of, we could talk about Jackson holiday and drew Jones in very similar, using very similar, uh, verbiage. And like, you wouldn't know who you're talking about until you, you know, he really drilled down a little bit more just because the sons of big leaguers, a lot of tools. I mean, Jackson holiday has a chance to have you know, five above average, maybe plus tools. He's a shortstop, no doubt about it. I think he's proven that. Uh, but even if for whatever reason he's not, uh, he's going to hit to profile where, wherever he wants. So uh, I, I, I'm excited to see what, what he does. Uh, and there's no question in my mind. You know, I think at some point in 2023, uh, once Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez graduate, Jackson Holiday will take over that number one spot uh, and if you told me that Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones would be battling it out for one, two in our top 100 in 2024, I would probably believe you. I thought about doing that too. I might still do that in the story of, uh, you know, we haven't written it yet of the, debating who's going to actually be the number one overall prospect in baseball, because I think it could be those two. Jackson Churio is going to be in that discussion if everything goes well, but maybe he's even up before then. That's, that's going to be a fun discussion. I think we, we can, yeah, we, we can dig into that maybe for next week's podcast. There we, um, there we go. That would be fun. yeah. That would be good. All right. So now we're going to pick the less obvious name, I guess. Uh, and in both cases, these are guys who uh, are either well regarded or have been talked about a bit of late. Uh, so why don't you you start us out with your less obvious pick for number one prospect? Yeah, mine is less obvious only maybe because right now. He's the number six prospect in his system. And there are guys above him who I don't necessarily are going to graduate before 2024. Uh, but Tink Hentz is my pick of the St. Louis Cardinals. He's number six. He's in our top 100. He's just snuck on there 
at the end. And the only reason for that is that he's been very limited in his starts. The Cardinals have treated him very, very carefully since they drafted him two years ago. Uh, but it's working. I mean, he's got a three-pitch mix right now that is as good as anybody you're going to see at single A ball. Uh, the fastball is touching 99. It's sitting around 95, 97. The curveball is getting a lot of whiffs around 79 to 81. It's a mid-80s changeup that he's really starting to gain a lot of confidence in. It's getting a healthy whiff rate. All the pieces are there. He just needs to extend these outings. The further he gets into games, the more confident we are that he can be a starting pitcher. Now, I think that's going to come in 2023 when he moves up to high A Peoria, maybe even finishes out the year at double A Springfield. Uh, you know, when that happens, he's still only going to be 21 years old. He only turned 20 this month. Hmm. So he's still very young. He was young for his draft class. He's young now. Uh, if he reaches double A by, you know, at the end of his age 20 season, that's going to be incredible. Uh, he's going to be well ahead of the curve, pardon the pun. But so you look at like who's above him. I think Jordan Walker is probably going to make the majors next year and graduate. I think Mason Wynn could make the majors next year and graduate. Graceffo, Gordon Graceffo, we'll see how that's going to work. He's probably going to make the majors at some point. Libertor is on the cusp of graduation as it is. Alec Burleson hasn't gotten that major league look yet, but he's been at AAA all year. So if one or two of those guys who are on the cusp of graduation go over the edge, then Tinkens automatically rises to the number one spot. Even if not, I think if he's throwing five, six innings by midway next year and all of this stuff is holding, it's yeah. he's capable of being a top 50 prospect in the game and one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in the game as well. I like I like this as the, as the sort of surprise pick because, you know, I think the first thing you say is, well, if you if you think he's going to be that good, why, why don't you rank him higher now? Obviously, we want to, as you point out, we, we want to see him longer, stretched out more, higher levels, all the things, and he's still so super young. And I think, you know, if I look at who would still be around, you know, Mason Wynn would be the only one where I'm like, if he hasn't graduated just yet, you know, then he, but like Gordon Graceffo is a, very, is a talented pitcher. He just doesn't feel like a, a number one prospect for me. All right. I teased at the top that I had a pop quiz for you. Oh yeah, that's right. Are you ready? I, I as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> uh, so the pop quiz is this, because when you picked Tim Kent, it made me think without looking and I know you haven't looked currently, how many, Number one prospects on team top 30s are pitchers. Because this is something that popped out to me when you picked Tank Kent. I'm like, huh, that makes it even you know, more interesting. I know we're kind of in an age right now. We've talked about this plenty, both on podcasts, on the site, and just amongst ourselves of how few top pitching prospects there are, really. I'm going to say eight. That's a pretty good guess. I'm also realizing right now that I didn't tease this at the beginning of the show. This was before we recorded that I it warned it you. to me personally. Yes, yes. and too. Alex, uh, our, our producer. So it was an audience of two. But uh, anyway, so the answer is six. Oh, man, I was going to go seven. Yeah, you're, I mean, that's, obviously that's, still wouldn't have been right. That's but at pretty least good. I mean, closer. you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a small amount, and they are not in any real order. Uh, Daniel Espino. Uh, the Guardians, Jackson Job, the Tigers, Hunter Brown. Uh, we talked about him earlier, the Astros. Yuri Perez, shout out to Jim Callis uh, for the uh, Marlins, the Phillies, Andrew Painter, and the Rays, Taj Bradley. That's a pretty yep. good group of pitchers right there. But uh, it, it is not, yeah, we don't have that many. So picking picking a pitcher, I think that, that's a bold that's a bold prediction. So I like it. 
I'm going to be a little less bold. Um, and I'll feed the Angels fans who keep asking me about Edgar Cuero. Um, and uh, right now he's number three on the Angels list. Uh, Logan Ohapi is number one. He's going to graduate, uh, you know, obviously by 2024. Zach Neto is number two. He's their first round pick this year, and he is ahead of Cuero right now. And that's the only thing. Like Neto could go out and be really, really good. And, you know, at the start of the 2024 season, that could be a good conversation. I think Angels fans would be happy. But I think Edgar Cuero has a chance to be, uh, you know, we're at an age right now where we seem to have a ton of really good catching prospects. Uh, you know, Ali Rushman has graduated, but we still have Gabriel Moreno, uh, Francisco Alvarez, a uh, ton of top 100 guys. Cuero's not even in the top 100 yet. Uh He's going to be there at some point soon. Uh, this is, you know, a guy who is still a teenager, um, switch hitting catcher, uh, has shown this year uh, the ability in full season ball to hit for average, to hit for power. He even runs well. He's a good defensive catcher. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if by 2024, Edgar Cuero is ready to kind of ascend to the top of that catching list you know, with all, a lot of those other guys having graduated. And uh, that would then make him uh, an obvious pick to be the, the Angels' number one prospect. So, you know, not, not a whole lot to celebrate in the Angels' prospect land, but I think Edgar Cuero is going to be a very large exception to that rule. Yeah, and that would be fascinating if, if Logan O'Hoppy continues down the road that he is, and all of a sudden we're talking about who is really the future of the catching spot mm-hmm. in, in Anaheim, is it yeah. O'Hoppy or Cuero? That, that would be a very good problem for the Angels to have in a way that they have not had a good problem yeah. in a while. Absolutely. All right, we're going to finish up as we always do with our mailbag. And this comes from, I love the fact that uh, that his handle is on the pursuit of happiness, um, which I think we all are, or at least hopefully. Um, it's at HeyJ81007. Could Gunnar Henderson see playing time at third, second, or the outfield uh, if he gets the call? I, f- I thought it would be, it was, you know, kind of appropriate to finish things off by talking about a potential uh, September call up and a guy who we would be so excited to see. And I'll kind of go first just because this is, you know, I. I, I I don't think he's going to play the outfield, um, although he could. You know, from the get-go, Sam, like when I've been doing the Orioles list, like they've let him run around in the outfield. He's gotten reps out there, but I don't think you call him up and throw him out in the outfield. Now, I think third base, absolutely. Shortstop, sure. He's been getting some reps at second base. I think that would be okay. And he's played a few games at first. So that's, to me... That, when he started getting some time at first, Sam, in, in Norfolk, that was when I was like, the Orioles are, are prepping to have him come up because he's not a first baseman long term. Uh, he is super athletic. He can stay on the left side of the infield. If they wanted him to play the outfield, I think, you know, you, you have him go to spring training, have him work on it during the offseason, and then I think he'd be fine out there. I just don't think you'd do it in the middle of a playoff race, although he probably would be fine. Um, First base, it was the, like, they're trying to figure out ways that they can get his bat into the lineup at the big league level. 
Yeah, no, I I had the exact same thought because you look at Gunnar Henderson uh, and you know being six foot two, two hundred ten pounds, but it is a lean two hundred and ten pounds. He's not a necessarily huge guy at first base, and he's too athletic to play over there. Like you want him playing any of the other infield spots. Um, I too would like to see what an outfield spot would look like for him. Uh, this is not a Ryan Mountcastle situation where you know the. The Orioles were like, well, we have to play you somewhere, so I guess it could be left, and that didn't go great, so they moved him to first base, and that's where he's been ever since. Um, Henderson can make a lot of plays over there. It's just you're kind of wasting his arm, which is one of his better tools if he's at first base. Uh, You know, Looking at what the Orioles have right now, they just seem to really like having uh, Mountcastle at first. You have Ruggie or Odor at second base. He's been – not great this year with the 622 OPS. Jorge Mateo, I think, has been kind of a nice surprise for them at short. Right. We've always known he can run. Uh, Ramon Arias is playing third. I think if you're going to look at anywhere for him, it's probably at second, even as good a veteran as Odor is. I, I just think Henderson's ceiling is too good there, and you get him playing up the middle at a premium position. Obviously, the arm's not going to be as needed at second base, but still, like, he can track down balls in the middle of the park at second base and he can still get his bat into the lineup. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I guess the only other you know possibility is that if he does play first base, and listen, I think he can move him around. He could handle, especially for a short period of time. You know, you don't turn a guy this talented into a, a, a super utility guy forever. Um, but I think that he could handle uh, moving around quite a bit uh, if uh, you know, if they need to, but if you wanted to have him play first base and then Mount Castle could, you know, could eat up some, uh, you know, some, some DH at bats, I think he could do that. Um, you know, if that's what you wanted to do, uh, I do, I do agree with you that second base, if they wanted to plug him in every day, that would be the spot. And, uh, I, I like how you brought that up being about Mount Castle. Cause this isn't a, we don't know where to put him. It's almost more, it's not quite Adam Jones-ish because I think it was clear Adam Jones wasn't going to really be able to play shortstop. Uh, you know, maybe you could have, but he was so athletic that it'd be kind of fun to see, uh, you know, fun to see Gunnar Henderson out in, in, in the outfield somewhere. I just, you're not going to do it now and he's not going to supplant, you know, Cedric Mullins in center field or anything like that. So we're just hoping that we get to see him somewhere, uh, in, you know, in, the, in that big league lineup before things are done. All right, I think uh, that's going to do it. Sam, thank you uh, very much for you are you are like the the rusty stab of podcast pinch hitting. <laughs> Again, dating myself, but these days there isn't a good example of a of a pincher. But thank you for stepping in. As always, this was fun. Yeah, anytime. I, I always love doing this. Um, you know, pitching in whenever I can, and especially at this time where we know something big is coming down the line. We've already gotten the tease of Corbin Carroll. We know more is coming, so it, it's fun to talk about this time of year. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.